Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Yes, indeed. Welcome back, everybody. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life. It is great to be back. It's great to have you folks back. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode. That was a very different kind of episode. Well, somewhat anyway. The discussion about the generations. Hopefully some folks out there found that episode enlightening or engaging or thought-provoking or just interesting. As I do try to make things interesting here and there as we go. Change things up a little bit, make it a little bit different. And on that note, I got a couple things uh, to talk about at the front end, and then we'll get into the letters. We're going to have a more or less a kind of a send-off for Dr. Franklin on this episode for the period of 1774 to 75. But before we get into that, I wanted to make mention that we are coming up actually close to the 100th episode. I was noticing that. This is probably going to be episode number 88, roughly. So the 100th episode is not too terribly far away. And what I wanted to do with that is I wanted to hand the uh, the content of the 100th episode over to you. Yes, you. Uh, I'm taking suggestions as far as what you want me to talk about on that episode. Preferably nothing specifically to do with the Founding Fathers, because we can do that anytime. For the 100th episode, I wanted to do something a little bit different. It's whatever is different from what we ordinarily talk about. And I'll give you some examples so that uh, you know which direction I'm barking in with this re- in this regard. I was thinking about this, and I was like, what is it that somebody might suggest we talk about? Or what is it? Because if nobody offers a suggestion, I'll just pick one. I'll pick something. And I thought about... It could be a current events thing, like if there's something going on in the world that you want me to talk about that doesn't ordinarily get covered on this podcast, which which be, could be a lot of things because we don't really do current events very much at all on this podcast, then I can try to cover that if it's something that I can speak intelligently about. Or maybe it's just some off-the-wall subject. I don't know. For example, I'm a car guy. If somebody wants to hear me rattle on about cars for a while... I can do that too. I like cars. If anybody wants me to expand on the previous episode, The Generations, about TLDR, the study of history, how technology has impacted that, I can expand on that if you want me to. If somebody wants to hear me talk about something else from history, I can talk about that. As lo- Again, as long as it's something I can speak intelligently about. And I don't mind taking multiple requests for that episode. We can probably cover more than one topic in a, in a single episode. So just leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you want to hear. Uh, between now and the 100th episode, and I will I will do my very best to fit that in, as long as it's not partisan political, as long as it's something that I can speak intelligently about, and obviously you might not know if there's a subject that I can speak intelligently about. It depends on what it is, like current events. I mean, some of that stuff I'm aware of, some of it I'm not, but, you know, throw the suggestion in the hopper, and we'll see what I can do. And if need be, I can I can read up on it a little bit to figure out what it is, if I'm unaware of it or something of that nature, before I talk about it on that episode. So there is that. And I'm looking forward to that, you know, and I I thank you folks for sticking around for the 100th episode and for sticking around thus far on the podcast. It's It's a big time commitment for you folks to keep coming back to the podcast and listening to this content, listening to this information. I appreciate it. And in that regard, I have another review up that I wanted to bring on to the podcast. We had somebody leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I like to bring those on, talk about them. If for no other reason than to just say I appreciate the time that you take to write the reviews, I appreciate the time that you commit to this material. So this one is going to come from a username, HSMS2237, who henceforth shall be referred to as 2237. 
And this review was titled uh, Christmas Movie. This is about our Christmas movie episode. And I like this review. I really appreciate it. And I'll read it from the top. Quote, I love this podcast, end quote. Thank you for that, by the way. The the kind words that you have for the podcast and the work that I put into it, always very much appreciated. I do not take it for granted. I do not take it for granted at all. Uh, 100% thank you for that. That, that is very, very kind words from our uh, from our reviewer here. Continuing on, quote, Almost through the backlog, I just listened to the 1223 episode on New Year's resolutions and Christmas movies. There may be one criteria for Christmas movies that may need to be added. Christmas, or the Christmas season generally, must be a necessary component of the movie. In other words, could this movie have taken place at any other time? Die Hard still fits this criteria as the whole reason John McClane was there was because he was visiting his family for Christmas. If it had not been Christmas, he would still be in New York. Therefore, Die Hard is still a Christmas movie. End quote. I agree 100%. Thank you for crying out loud. Thank you. Somebody agrees with me that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I'm telling you, I think this I think this issue is settled, and our great reviewer here on Apple Podcasts has confirmed what I have believed practically my entire life. Because, again, I grew up watching Die Hard from the time I was probably six years old. To me, it was always a Christmas movie. You know, when I was a kid, it, I did not watch, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Story or any of that stuff. I, I, I literally didn't. I think I saw It's a Wonderful Life one time in my life. Other than that, I never really watched it. I watched movies like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. I think there's a kind of category of guys that, that grew up watching those movies, and it was probably guys that were born about the time that I was, early millennials. These are the kind of movies we grew up on. You know, we grew up watching Terminator. We grew up watching Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and things like that. These, this was our stuff. And for us, a Christmas movie is not It's a Wonderful Life. You may enjoy that. That's fine. But it's usually not that. It's not a Christmas story. It's not Santa Claus. It's Die Hard. And I think that'll always be the case for us guys who are born in the 1980s. I don't think that'll probably ever change. So shout out to you folks out there who are in the same category as me, born in the 1980s, grew up watching Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, and Terminator. But yeah, I totally agree with you, by the way. It is definitely a Christmas movie. It's a four out of four, in my opinion. And I don't think I quite articulated that well, that that thing you mentioned about the Christmas season. You're absolutely right about that. I meant to say this a little bit more clearly on that um, on that episode, that my heart one, I have two hard criteria for a Christmas movie, and then I have two criteria that could be an either-or situation. The hard criteria is it does have to take place during the Christmas season. You're 100% right. The other hard criteria is, is it has to have Christmas music in the movie. Now, the two that could be an either-or, in other words, you can have one or the other, or you can have both, is it has to have a Christmas tree or a Santa Claus hat. If it has either of those two, or both, it is a Christmas movie. And again, Die Hard is a four out of four. It has Christmas music. It takes place during the Christmas season. There is a Santa Claus hat, and there is a Christmas tree. Four out of four, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to thank the reviewer, 2237, who left a review on this episode, Christmas movie, the Christmas movie episode, that is, and um, gave us some feedback about that, and I am glad to hear that I am not the only one who believes that Die Hard is an official Christmas movie. And kind of a follow-up on a review that we had previously, our reviewer Jared had asked a question about a Supreme Court episode. I am That is in the works. I am currently working on that Supreme Court episode. I will have a book recommendation in that episode as well. So I'm going to have some bonus content in that episode. And that's that's a, that's a gift from me to you as kind of a shout-out for uh, recommending that we do a Supreme Court episode. And I uh, thank you for that suggestion. 
Uh, I don't mind front-loading some of that content. Of course, we will talk more in depth about Supreme Court later on. This is this episode that I'm planning is kind of an off-book episode. In other words, it's not going to contain a lot of the letters information. I will reference that book that I'm going to suggest. Some of you folks may have already read it, but that's fine. Some folks may not have read it. It's from quite a while back. I read it when I was actually in college many years ago. Many, many years ago. We're talking, goodness, more than 15 years ago. So I'll have a book recommendation, and I will give you some some discussion around what I feel about the Supreme Court and some so what I think the fundamental problem is, more or less. And it's it's not really an easily solved problem. I don't I don't know that it'll ever actually be solved. It, it would probably it would be this country doesn't solve problems well, and this problem would take a lot of work to solve. And I just don't think this country has it in it to solve it. But we'll we'll see. I will float the ideas, and you got you folks can let me know what you think. And I am still working on some. Uh, some stuff behind the scenes, uh, just an update on that, some inside baseball. I am working on some stuff behind the scenes as far as expanding some of the work that we do on the podcast. I actually contacted somebody recently to do some contract work for me in that regard. Uh, simple stuff, not complicated, but that's just, uh, again, behind the scenes to let you know that I'm working on some stuff, something to look forward to. So with all that said, we're going to get into this episode here and start talking about some letters from Dr. Benjamin Franklin. The good doctor is back. More specifically, we've got some letters written to Dr. Benjamin Franklin that I think are very important. I wanted to bring on this episode. And then we're going to have uh, some letters towards the end that um, offer some high praise to Dr. Franklin. As we segue out of the letters from Dr. Franklin and we start moving into other things... So let us venture into that, and let's do that right now. Let's get this party started, ladies and gentlemen. All right, without further delay, let's get into it. I am going to read a letter written to Dr. Benjamin Franklin from a John Winthrop. These letters today are really going to be... These things, these are going to be right up leading up to the war. I mean, this is like... um, the last warnings, like right before the war kicks off, ladies and gentlemen. And you're going to be able to get a sense of the... uh, the mindset of the colonists that they knew something was coming. They could sense that something was on the way. So this is a letter written to Dr. Benjamin Franklin from John Winthrop, written on March the 28th of 1775, written from Cambridge in New England, and I quote, I need to say nothing of the situation of our public affairs, as Mr. Dana will be able to give you full information. I cannot, however, forbear observing to the honor of the people of this province that ever since their the resignation of the man... Mandamus counselors. They have been as quiet and peaceable as any colony on the continent, though under a total suspension of government and an accumulation of grievances, we are now in a state of the most anxious suspense, but preparing for the worst. God send better times. End quote. A state of the most anxious suspense. And what is he talking about? What's what? Are, who are these counselors that he's talking about? These Mandamus counselors. You know, in Massachusetts, the uh, the government had had just been completely upended, and they tried to come in and put the king's men in place. They tried to put people in that were more loyal to the king. They tried to reorganize things under this military dictatorship, basically. And what they ended up running into is, you know, the people of Massachusetts didn't want to have anything to do with it. So in many cases, people would just say, to heck with it, we're not, we're not doing this. We read, we read in earlier letters that, that juries would not, they wouldn't participate in the process, in the court system. It's like, it's like we're not, we're not going to do this. Our government is not a game that can be toyed with by the king or the parliament or this military dictatorship. They wanted they wanted their government restored to what it was. 
They wanted the government in Massachusetts restored to what it had been. They didn't like that their government was being taken away from them by this, what they saw as this outside force, this distant government of Parliament and the King. They wanted their local governments to, be, to remain intact. And who could blame them? That's where they were represented. But of course the king, you know, the, the king wants his own people in there. They, they, he wants to nominate his own people, he wants to select his own people, or he wants people to volunteer who are strictly loyal to him. Not to the Constitution, not to the people of Massachusetts, but to him. Him and the Parliament that he controls. As always, this is what tyrants do. But good news, ladies and gentlemen, the people of Massachusetts were having none of it. None of it. So let's continue. Let's listen to some more of this. I'm going to read a letter written to Dr. Benjamin Franklin from Samuel Cooper, written on April 1st of 1775. This was written from Boston. And I quote, Dear Sir, I wrote you in September and August last, and it is a great while indeed since I have had the pleasure of a line from you. The anxiety and distress brought upon us by the port bill and other acts, and the troops and ships of war stationed here have been great, and much art and pains have been employed to dismay us, or provoke us to some rash action. But hitherto the people have behaved with an astonishing calmness and resolution. The union and firmness of this and the other colonies have rather grown than diminished, and they seem prepared for all events, end quote. They are prepared for all events. They have prepared themselves for every eventuality, ladies and gentlemen. Think about that. Now, why would they have to prepare themselves for every eventuality, including what John Adams would call a rupture with the troops? Because their government in London and that military dictatorship in Boston that has been set up is pushing them to the brink. They have no choice. Now, let us read this one section again that sounds oh so familiar, ladies and gentlemen, and I quote, The troops and ships of war stationed here have been great, and much art and pains have been employed to dismay us or provoke us to some rash action, end quote. So they, the, the, gover the illegal government, the military dictatorship of Massachusetts, is trying to provoke them to some rash action, ladies and gentlemen. This is now probably the fourth time that we have heard this. We heard it on Conspiracy to Commit Murder, that previous episode. We heard it from John Adams in, a in an episode previous to that. And I believe we heard, we heard it from Mr. William Tudor. And now we've got it from Samuel Cooper. How many sources do we need? How many sources do we need here before people in the United States today understand what started the war? Oh, everything was just sweetness and light. The troops were minding their own business, and they were lovely, and General Gage didn't have any particular mind towards attacking the colonists. So he was just—he was, was a wonderful military dictator who overthrew the government of Massachusetts. Everything was just sweet and wonderful. And his troops were so polite. They weren't walking around with weapons aimed at the uh, citizenry, pushing and shoving. They were just so polite, so wonderful. Swell people. Sure, they had overthrown the legitimate government of Massachusetts. Sure, they had installed a military dictatorship. Sure, they had violated the Constitution. Sure, they had shut off the port of Boston to commerce. Sure, they had turned Boston into a garrison city, but they were so polite, ladies and gentlemen, so polite. You will actually read this kind of crap in certain history books. I'm not making this up. I have read it with my two eyes. Now, frankly speaking, those people who write crap like that are cherry-picking. Because you can be a polite soldier in the street, you can walk around with no weapon, no sidearm, 
You can you can wave at the citizens of Massachusetts and say, Good morning, kind sir. How are you doing? Top of the morning to you there, ladies and gentlemen. You can do all that crap. But if you have destroyed the legitimate government that these people lived under their whole lives, if you have altered their colonial charters, if you have overthrown their constitution, installed a military dictatorship, turned Boston into a garrison city, and moved an entire military unit, a sizable military unit at that, into their city, and you have attacked their commerce, I don't give a rat's rear end how polite you are when you do it. I don't give a crap. It doesn't matter at that point, does it? Does it matter? Because it wouldn't matter to me. I don't give a crap how polite they are. The fact that these colonists didn't come into Boston shooting at the troops to drive them out of the city is, is a testament to their restraint. Because in my humble opinion, they were well within their rights to do it. Their constitution had been violated, ladies and gentlemen. And then you add to it the fact that these people keep saying over and over and over again, Benjamin Franklin was saying it, and he wasn't even in Massachusetts to see this crap. He saw it from London. He saw what was going on from London, and he said, these people are trying to provoke us into rebellion. Samuel Cooper on the ground in Massachusetts says they're trying to provoke us. John Adams on the ground in Massachusetts says they're trying to provoke us. Over and over and over again, they keep saying it. So anytime you hear this crap about how polite the soldiers were, or how nice these people were being in overthrowing the government of Massachusetts, understand that there is this bizarre cherry-picking of history going on there. And they're not paying attention to any of the other crap that had been going on for the better part of a year and a half. Sometimes I marvel at people in the United States of America. Sometimes I marvel at these so-called professional historians and their ability to just select out what they want to hear. Oh, by gosh, the troops were behaving so politely. Nobody knows why the colonists reacted the way they did. Nobody knows. It's hard to understand why the colonists would react so rashly when the British soldiers march out there and start trying to arrest people, seize property, and kill people. I have no idea why they reacted this way. It's a mystery to me. Now, frankly speaking, I don't understand how somebody could be that stupid, but they are. I mean, I, I, I'm very well convinced that some of these historians, these professional historians, they were dropped on their head when they were children. Or their parents were cousins or something of that nature. I, I don't know. Because these letters speak for themselves. Dr. Franklin speaks for what was going on in London, and he was actually there. Mr. Cooper is giving us testimony from on the ground in Boston. So was John Adams, and they're all saying the same thing. We're being provoked. We're being provoked, ladies and gentlemen. These people are poking us with a stick until we react. They're trying to make it happen. They're doing everything they can to start a war. They want a war. They want to kill us. Because that's what happens when you provoke people to react like that. You end up getting into a shooting war and people die. So if there's any professional historians that ever end up listening to this podcast, if you actually make it this far, if you actually make it past episode four, and you believe that you, you have no idea, no idea at all why it is the colonists reacted so rashly on April 19th of 1775. How long has this been going on? How long have they been putting up with this crap? Watching their colony be picked apart, being provoked, 
being provoked to war, like Dr. Franklin says, like John Adams says, like Mr. Cooper says, like Mr. Tudor says. I'm telling you, there's still a loyalist streak that runs through certain people in the United States of America. 250 years later, these people can't get over it. They're still loyal to the parliament and the king. The king's dead. He's been dead for a long time. I mean, there's a new king now. I understand that. But this guy, King George III, he's been dead for a long time. These people are still loyal to him. I'm not kidding. You will hear people say crap like that. I can't figure out why the colonists reacted this way. The troops were being so polite and nice. Mr. Gage, he was practically, he was practically just the sweetest man. What could possibly go wrong? It's really hard to believe. 250 years after the fact, some of these historians, these loyalists, as I would call them today, just like they were called 250 years ago, they're still making sheep eyes towards King George III, and he's dead. You just can't make this stuff up. It's when I hear crap like that that I start to think to myself, maybe that's why the history department in this country and the universities and the public school systems isn't taken seriously. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's the history department's fault. Maybe they've been screwing the pooch the whole time with their loyalist tendencies, making sheep eyes towards King George III, his, his corpse, which is buried underground. Pack of frickin' loyalists, I'm telling you. These are, the, these are the same people, by the way, who say that the Founding Fathers were just a bunch of, oh, nasty, nasty old elitist plantation owners who just didn't want to pay their taxes. They just hated government, didn't want to pay their taxes. Same kind of mindset. It's the same people who say this crap. And this is why we read the actual correspondence from the Founding Fathers on this podcast. We don't go to books, oftentimes, that have been written about the Founding Fathers by these loyalists to King George III... Instead, we just read the, the words right off the page. The intelligence from the field in Boston in 1775. That's why we bring Mr. Cooper on to be a guest on the podcast. And thank goodness Mr. Cooper wrote this letter. Because without this, how would we know? Let us continue in this letter. And I quote, The colonies highly approve the proceedings of the Congress and have voted delegates for the new one in May. The Assembly at New York forbore an express approbation, but have resolved almost all the acts complained of by the Congress to be grievances, and county assemblies in that province will probably by large majority appoint delegates for the approaching Congress. One would have imagined that ministerial influence and bribes would have had a much greater effect upon that province than has hitherto appeared, end quote. So they're trying to bribe the people in New York. New York, you know, that's basically his implication here. New York, you know, has always been a problematic member of the Union. Let me just put that out there. As, as it pertains to, you know, being a, a, a patriot or an adherent to any semblance of freedom and liberty. So anybody from New York listening to the podcast, by the way, you know what I'm talking about. You, if you live there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been to New York several times. Now, there are some great folks from New York, but in this particular time period, New York's kind of dragging its feet, you know. But even this guy says, even despite the bribes and all the rest of it, these people are still, still, even in New York, they're not happy about what the king is doing. Because they know, at the end of the day, they know that even if they, they kind of ignore it and they kind of go along with it and all the rest of it, eventually it's going to happen to them. They know. They know who they're dealing with. And if they don't act, if they don't try to do something, eventually this whole thing is going to come around to them. And there's not going to be a New York anymore. And the New Yorkers of today would be wise to take note of that. Just FYI. Take note of that. But how about this? Quote, The colonies highly approve the proceedings of the Congress and have voted delegates for the new one in May. End quote. So there's going to be a new Congress in May. 
This would be May of 1775. Boy, that timing. That's some good timing right there. We got a war getting ready to start, and the colonists have already planned a Congress that is set to take place in May, just in time to be able to react to it. That's a miracle unto itself right there. Let us continue. Quote, We have heard that the merchants and manufacturers in Britain are petitioning on our, or rather their own, behalf, that no more troops are to be sent, and the acts likely to be repealed. Other accounts from your side, the waters say that the same or similar measures will be pursued. The determination here seems to be not to abate our vigilance and to act as though we expected no favor till adequate relief is granted, end quote. So they're still hopeful. They're hearing things from across the water that there's going to be something coming their way positive to try to repeal some of this crap that Britain is doing. Of course, they're 100% wrong. The, the news that this guy is re reporting is old news, and Dr. Franklin would know it. Dr. Franklin, he, he knows this is crap because he's already written about it. Unfortunately, this guy's information about what's going on over in London is very dated and very old. His intelligence from Boston on the ground is very, very important and very valuable, but this, uh, this information he has from London is old, old news. It's not going to happen. Uh, that, that ship has sailed. No pun intended. And this thing about no more troops on the way, yeah, that's a bunch of crap, too. They're sending more troops. They've got them standing by ready to go. Why, Roman, how on, how on earth do you know that? Well, we're going to read some intelligence from a Mr. Samuel Wharton, and he's going to tell us. See, we've got, uh, we have agents on both sides of the Atlantic, and good news, we have managed to get them both as guests on the podcast today. Uh, Mr. Cooper, uh, we've already heard from Mr. Cooper, now we're going to hear from Mr. Samuel Wharton. He's going to be our next guest on the podcast, and he's going to tell us what's going on in, in basically England, and what's getting ready to come the way of the colonists. This is a letter written from Samuel Wharton to Benjamin Franklin on April 17th of 1775. This is April 17th of 1775. We only have, we have less than two days left, by the way, basically, less than 48 hours, and the war will start. Now tell me, after I get done reading this letter, tell me that King George III didn't understand what was about ready to happen, that it wasn't planned, that he didn't expect it, that this whole thing wasn't orchestrated from the top. This letter was written from Portsmouth in England, and let us read, and I quote, I am really grieved at the publication of Mr. Galloway's extraordinary pamphlet. Our great friends in both houses are extremely angry at it and express themselves in most resentful terms against the author, while the courtiers rejoice at that part of the pamphlet which represents our divisions and controversies as to the boundaries and modes of religion, our incompetency to resist the power of this country, and the undecided state of the Congress for several weeks as to what really were the rights of America, end quote. He's basically talking about the same Mr. Galloway who proposed his, uh, his plan for a grand union, this, um, or a grand legislature, to represent the colonies so that the, the colonists would effectively have some kind of representation directly outside of the parliament to Great Britain where they had no representation whatsoever. And it would be kind of a, a thing where the king would have some influence in it, as would the, the colonists. We described that on previous episodes. If you, haven't, if you haven't listened to those previous episodes, go back and listen to that. Uh, Mr. Galloway explained what his plan was. And what we're hearing here from Mr. Wharton is that the friends of the colonists, that's what he says when he says, quote, our great friends in both houses are extremely angry at it, end quote. He's talking about the friends of Dr. Franklin, the friends of the colonies, the friends of, like, John Adams, th those kind of people. 
they're angry at Mr. Galloway's plan, mainly at his representations of how how divided certain segments of the colonies are about what to do. But the uh, the people loyal to the king and in Parliament uh, rejoice at hearing this division, this uh, this inability to decide. This is good news for them. Again, these people are trying to divide. They're trying to uh, they're trying to isolate and alienate these people that they believe to be a problem in the colonies. Let's read a little bit more about that. Quote, Yet the courtiers at the same time treat with ineffable contempt the plan of union proposed, and which they say, by not being adopted, offended the author's pride and has been the happy means of their being satisfactorily confirmed in their ideas of the weakness and division of the colonies, and that by perseverance they shall unquestionably obtain a perfect submission. End quote. You see, when people are divided about freedom and liberty, when people cannot unify behind these concepts like what we see in the, in the Bill of Rights today, think, you know, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and beyond. When these tyrannical types see division in the people, this is what they think. I want you to know what's going through their head so you understand what you're dealing with. One more time, loud and proud, here we go. Quote, and has been the happy means of their being satisfactorily confirmed in their ideas of the weakness and division of the colonies, and that by perseverance they shall unquestionably obtain a perfect submission, end quote. Now, we keep hearing from Mr. Cooper and others that the, the people in the colonies are resolute. They're united in doing something about this problem. But now we've got a situation where the parliament and the king think there is division and weakness, and they will obtain submission from the colonies. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how a war gets started. You think this can't happen again? You think nowhere in the world, all you people around the world who listen to this podcast, those of you who actually stick around, by the way, the, the foreign audience to this podcast, the people outside the United States, they have a really hard time sticking with this material. I mean, you ever wonder, you ever wonder if you ever wanted to know why, and I'm speaking to everybody, the people in the United States and the people around the world, if you ever wanted to know why those people around the world in places like Europe and elsewhere, they have always struggled to maintain any sense of freedom and liberty at all. They have been constantly oppressed, beaten, broken, destroyed, smashed by their own governments, whether in Germany or France or Great Britain or wherever, Russia. It's because they have no time for this material. They have no time for these letters. They have no time for Dr. Franklin, John Adams, Samuel Adams, George Washington, Patrick Henry, Dr. Warren, etc. They've got no time. They're busy. They're busy doing other things. Now, why do I mention that? Number one, because I feel sorry for them. I've mentioned before how the people of Russia have been in this perpetual cycle of slavery and oppression for many hundreds of years. They just can't escape it, but that's their fault. They're the ones to blame for it because they have no time for these letters. For 250 years, they have had the benefit of these letters. Roughly. You know, 200 years, definitely. They've had the benefit of these letters. You think they have any time for this stuff? No, nope, they don't. And look at where they're at today, ladies and gentlemen. Is that what you want for your children? here in the United States, because that's what you're going to get. Because today, the American people have no time for these letters. The American people are just as dumb and stupid, divided and weak as the people of Russia have always been. Not all of us, not me, not my parents, not you, but the vast majority of the people of the United States are a beaten, broken, divided, weak, feckless, and miserable people. I hate to have to say it, but somebody's got to say it. And just about everybody else with a microphone is too weak and stupid and feckless 
to say anything about it because they're a part of the problem. A lot of these voices that you listen to, a lot of these voices that we hear in America are absolutely worthless. The people that we have counted on to try to guide us, to try to get us out of this mess, to try to lead the world, to try to communicate to the rest of the world these principles and these ideals, they've been compromised. And how have they been compromised? They've been compromised by money and greed and self-interest and many other things. Their biggest concern is to retire to their mansion at the end of the day where they enjoy their money. And the reason why I am not a, a white flag American or a CS individual, CS, by the way, is, a, is, an, is an acronym. I can't say the actual words because this is a family-friendly podcast. The reason why I am not a CS individual like them, and I'm willing to say this, as harsh as it may be, as hard as it may be for some people to open their freaking ears and listen to this crap, is because I'm not one of them. I'm one of you. That's why I say things like, I will not fail you. I am not going to lead you down the same stupid path that they did. I'm not going to cover up this information. Because I know where the problem is. Those people over there in Russia, like I said, who have no time for these letters, that's who we are turning into. Because when you have no time for these letters, when you cannot listen to this, you become exactly what the parliament saw in the colonists, although they were wrong, by the way. This is what happens when there's, you know, a few thousand miles in between them and the colonies and nobody has a telephone. And the only thing they have to go on is this stupid pamphlet written by Mr. Galloway. They were wrong about this. Quote, of their being satisfactorily confirmed in their ideas of the weakness and division of the colonies, and that by perseverance they shall unquestionably obtain a perfect submission, end quote. They were wrong, because the Founding Fathers were 100% loyal to their Constitution, to studying the, the freedoms and the liberties that were handed down to them, unlike the people of Russia today, or 200 years ago, 300 years ago, whatever. Now, if you want to live in the same society as the people in Russia do today, then, I, then just let the United States keep doing what it's doing, because that's where we're going. Because the thing that we have in common with Russia today as a society, again, not me, not you, obviously, because you're here listening to this stuff, the thing we have in common as a society in the United States with the people of Russia is that we have no time for these letters. The United States has no time for Dr. Franklin, no time for Mr. Adams, no time for Mr. Cooper or Mr. Tudor, no time. Why not? This story that we're hearing described in this letter has been repeated over and over again by every government that has ever existed in every people that have ever lived in every part of the world for the last 10,000 years. At some point or another, this happens. Now, why am I continuing to harp on this? You know, because as a history, as somebody who has tethered his soul and his spirit to history, I, I, I'm thinking, I, again, this is why I said to you what day this was written on, April 17th of 1775. We have less than 48 hours, ladies and gentlemen. In 48 hours from the date that this letter is written, from the time that this person was scrolling these letters on this piece of paper, people are going to be laying dead in a field, okay? Somebody is going to have, have been standing in their house with their wife and their children one minute, and the next minute they're running out the door because they heard the call. They grabbed their rifle off the wall, and they ran out with their fellow countrymen, British subjects at the time, to engage a British military that was trying to take away everything that they had. And some of those men did not come back. And those kids, that wife, they waited and waited and waited for that man to come back through that door. And you can imagine them sitting there looking at that door, waiting. If you close your eyes, can you picture that in your mind? I want you to do that if you're not driving a car. Close your eyes and I want you to picture sitting around at the kitchen table in 1775 as a child, waiting for your father to come back through that door, having the worst fear in the pit of your stomach 
knowing what was going on, knowing why he left, having lived the last several months listening to all this stuff build and build and build about the soldiers and the troops and the attack that was always going to come because it was planned, being provoked. I want you to picture sitting there at that table waiting for your father to come through that door, and he never does. You never see him again. He's gone. And thus begins a war that lasts for the better part of a decade, in which so many other fathers and brothers and sons never come back through that door again. And I want you to understand that that was the government that did it. I want you to understand that that was their military that they entrusted their safety to, their lives, their freedoms. That was their military that, that made it happen, that killed all those people, that drove them into the ground. And those children that sat there at that table all night, through the dark of night, waiting for their father to come through that door, and he never did, that was done by their government and their military. And imagine living with that. How paranoid would you always be of government, of a, mil of a standing army? You want to know why the Founding Fathers were so against a standing army? Can you feel it? Now that you can picture that in your head, do you understand why? And do you understand why that Bill of Rights is in that Constitution? Why people fought to put it in there after the Constitution was ratified? Do you want to know why that Second Amendment is there? It's because of those kids who sat at that kitchen table waiting for their father to come home, and he never did. Because his own military killed him. His own government killed him. And if that's what can happen when the people do have arms... When they can go out to the field and defend themselves, imagine what can happen when they, when they don't have that ability. And you wonder why people in this country fight for the Second Amendment. Gee, I freaking wonder why. Because somewhere deep down in the soul of most Americans, because of the pain that people have been through in this country in times past, because of how we were betrayed, because of how we were stabbed in the back and shot in the face, we understand how important this is. It's only this group of white flag Americans, these CS individuals in the modern day that don't understand this stuff, the people who have no time for these letters. They don't give a crap about those kids sitting at that table waiting for their father to come home, and he never does. They don't give a crap about them. They don't give a crap about the sacrifice. They don't care about anybody but themselves. Self-interest, ladies and gentlemen. Self-interest. Cowards. And this is the thing for some reason that so many other people around the world and so many other countries will never understand. I, I don't know why. The history's right there for them, just like it's right there for us. Just because it's our history doesn't mean that they can't read it. The people in Russia could have read this stuff 120 years ago and saved themselves a lot of trouble. But they got no time for these letters, ladies and gentlemen. They got no time. So many other important things like picking potatoes out of the ground. As important as that may be, it doesn't matter. None of it matters if you're just going to be a slave your whole life. If you're just going to let your government shoot at you. World's biggest turkey shoot. What was it Patrick Henry said? Give me liberty or give me death? There's still a state in the Union that still lives by those words, or at least they like to think they do. What is it, New Hampshire, the live free or die state? Whatever happened to that? Obviously, the people of Europe never heard those words. I don't know how. It's written all over these letters. You want to become like those people? Like those sheep? Like those cowards over there? You want to turn into those people? Then just don't have any time for these letters. Just don't have any time for them. Do you know how many people cruise into this podcast and then cruise right back out again because of TLDR? It's just too boring. It's just, I can't, I can't take it. I can't sit here for an hour once a week and listen to these letters and listen to this story and listen to these people who died for my freedom and my liberty. I can't do it. It's just too much time. I've got a trip to Starbucks to make. I've got other podcasts to listen to. I've got to listen to my pop culture news. I don't have time for these people who died for my freedom and my liberty. 
I don't have time for these people who put everything on their line, their property, their lives, their family, their children, their wives, put it all on the line. I don't have time for them. I've got a pop culture podcast to listen to. Part of the reason why I do this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is so that when all this is over, this country has no excuses. Nobody will ever be able to say, I didn't know. And all those people who cruise into this podcast and cruise right back out again and don't have time for these letters, you know, that Samuel Adams quote just keeps ringing around in my head. May posterity forget that they were our countrymen. Because it's those people that the people in Parliament and King George III were counting on in 1775, but there just weren't very many of them in the colonies in 1775. We've got millions, millions of them in the country today. You know, these people who make the Parliament so happy. Quote, while the courtiers rejoice at the part of the pamphlet which represents our divisions and controversies as to boundaries and modes of religion, our incompetency to resist the power of this country, end quote. Does this sound familiar? Boundaries, religion, incompetency, power. Does any of this sound familiar? It's almost like Mr. Cooper is reading our mail. Does anybody understand how history repeats itself yet? Does anybody understand why I say that these letters should be written, read in every history class across the country? Because not having read these letters in every history class across the country, this is how we were failed. You wonder why I say in that previous episode, I got to imagine somebody was offended by that and stopped listening to this podcast. You know, one of those white flag Americans. They probably hung into this podcast for a while. They were, they were, they were clinging on a little bit. But as soon as they heard me say that I was failed by my country, my, the people in it, again, I got I to gotta be careful how I say that. I was failed by the people in my country as I was growing up as a millennial. Gen Z, by the way, in the process right now, this very second of being failed by their country. The people in it. It's because these letters weren't read in those history classes, ladies and gentlemen. Because you read these letters, you understand exactly what time of day it is. You understand exactly what to look for. You understand exactly where the problems are. You understand exactly how to stop this crap from happening before it happens. So that we don't turn into freaking Russia. Or those people in Europe who don't have time for this stuff either. Because it's not their history. It's not my history. I don't need to read those letters from America's founding fathers because it's not my history. Said every moron who ever lived in Europe for the last 250 years. You just keep doing that, buddy boy. You just keep doing it. You keep living your best life, you freaking idiot. And you're going to keep getting the Germanys in the 1930s. You're going to keep getting the Napoleons. And you're going to keep getting the rest of it. You're going to keep getting the Soviet Unions and all that stuff. The, the, the Benito Mussolinis and all that stuff. You're just going to keep on getting that stuff, baby. Just keep it up. And we can watch another 20 million die. I have no sympathy for those people over there in Europe. None. Because time and time again, they keep telling us the same thing over and over again. I've got no time for those letters. I've got no time for your history, you Americans. I've got no time for this. I've got no time to listen to those founding fathers that you had. John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Samuel Adams, Patrick Henry. I've got no time. Europe, for the last 100 years, has been a plague upon the world. Yes, I said it. Because who else is going to tell you this? Those other, those white flag Americans out there on, on a podcast, do you think they're going to tell you this crap? No, they're not. They've been a plague on the world. And do you know why? Do you know how World War I happens? Do you know how World War II happens? Do you know how they drag the rest of the world into their malaise, their stupidity? Because they've got no time for these letters, ladies and gentlemen. No time. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of living in a world with people that stupid. Because they can fix it tomorrow. They can fix it in five seconds. Just start reading. Crack open a book, baby, and start reading. You absolute incompetent freaking morons over there in Europe who keep telling us over and over again, we got no time for you. We got no time for your history, your founding fathers. No time. We got our own thing going over here. Oh, believe me, we know. We know you got your own thing over there, Europe. 
A hundred thousand dead Americans in World War I? We know you got your own thing going on over there. How's that working out for you? A few hundred thousand dead Americans in World War II over there in the European theater? We know you got your own thing over there, Europe. We know. Believe me, we know. Because we've been there and we've done that. And there's a Europe today because of us. But you've got no time for this history. You've got no time to learn from these letters. All you people over there in Europe... All you people over there in the UK, every once in a while, we, we get somebody from the UK come in, download download a few episodes of the podcast, and then just run screaming right back out. And you wonder why the British Empire collapsed. You wonder why you're, you're, you wonder why your country still to this day is falling apart. And I know I'm casting some stones. I got some, We got our own problems over here. But it's for the same reason. I mean, didn't you hear me yell at my own people over here in the United States? who've got no time for these letters. Most of the people who cruise in and out of this podcast are from the United States. They're listening to all kinds of podcasts. They're listening to all kinds of radio. But they got no time for these letters because they know it all. They know everything. They're geniuses. Thus the reason why I was born into a country that's basically coming apart at the joints. That's why Gen Z was born into a country that's coming apart at the joints. Because this country, oh boy, we got this covered, Roman. We didn't need you to come along. We didn't need you to come along and tell us about these letters. We had it covered long before you ever got here. Really? Really? So for those of you who do listen to this podcast, understand I've said in many episodes how grateful I am for you and how how grateful the Founding Fathers would be for you, and I mean that. I've spent enough time complaining about the people who have no time for these letters, and I will spend just a, a brief period of time here praising you folks who listen to this podcast, not because it's my podcast, but because of the message that I convey that is not my own. You take time out of your day. You have families. You have work. You have responsibilities. You've got things to do on the weekend. You've got houses to take care of. You've got cars to take care of. You've got all, the, all these responsibilities, this, all this stuff, and it's a lot. And then you've got to deal with all the other crap that goes on in this country. And you make time for this podcast to listen to this message, to understand what happened in 1775, so that you can tell your friends, your family, your children how things went sideways. Or so that you can share the podcast with your friends, family, and children so that they can hear this directly. Thank you for that, by the way. And for those few people in Europe who listen to this podcast and actually stick around, you're the exception to the rule. You know what I'm talking about. You know better than I do. You know your history over there. Probably better than I do. So you know how bad it is. But you take the time to listen to this podcast so that you can be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And I thank all of you, all of you who take the time to to absorb this message, because I know that this is a very, very difficult podcast to listen to. This is not going to give you the warm and fuzzies. This is not going to light up your the, the entertainment centers of your brain. Nobody's going to get a big, huge dopamine hit off of this podcast. It just ain't going to happen. At times, it's going to make you angry. At times, it's going to make you sad. At times, it's going to make you frustrated. And at times, it's going to make you concerned. And who wants to deal with all that? So the fact that you take any time at all to listen to this material says something about you. You are in good company with the Mr. Coopers, the Dr. Warrens, the John Adams, the Benjamin Franklins, the Patrick Henrys, the Samuel Adams of the world, who also took great pains to understand what it is that we're talking about here. Now, let us finish this letter and listen to what happens when the government senses weakness and division. And we can understand how this whole thing was orchestrated from the top. And I quote, Major Trent carries out with him the restraining act for Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and least any news unfavorable to the designs of government might arrive from Governor Colden, administration used great industry in accelerating it through the House of Lords in order that New York might not, if possible, be inserted in it. They, placing much confidence in the fidelity and loyalty of the Delanceys, 
and their friends to dissolve the Union of America. The generals Burgoyne, Howe, and Clinton are now here, waiting only for a favorable wind to sail for Boston. There, it is to be determined how two of them are to be disposed of. One of them, with two or three regiments is being here decided, shall be stationed at New York to support the king's friends, so-called, in that colony. Several persons as spies are sent to each of the provinces to collect intelligence and observe and report the conduct of people in general and some in particular, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, what you are listening to here, just so we're clear, and by the way, all you uh, history professors out there who seem to think, who seem to be, you know, so curious why it is that the colonists reacted the way they did when the military marched out into the countryside. Oh my gosh, why did why in the world did Captain Parker's men stand against that British column? I have no idea. I mean, since you're so confused, let me help you. I want to help. See, that's what I do here. I help people. I help people find their brain in the history departments of the United States of America. See, the common people out here in the world, we understand these letters fairly easily because it's written in plain freaking English. But the people in the history department, apparently, who write books, have a real hard time reading letters. At least certain letters. They have a hard time understanding exactly what it was that was going on in 1775. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you, you history professors out there. The ones that are confused. Baffled. Baffled! By what, what happened in 1775. What, you are, what we are reading here, generals being dispatched, regiments being sent, restraining acts. And by the way, the restraining acts, if you're curious what that was, the restraining acts for Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and so on and so forth. This is basically the parliament and the king attacking the trade of the colonies. They're attacking the commerce again. They're going after the economy. Does anybody, by, by the way, I'm just going to ask a question. For those folks out there in the United States of America, oh, and actually Europe for that matter too, but, oh, wait, wait, I forgot. You people in Europe, you've got no time for these letters. You, you've got no time for the history of the found, America's Founding Fathers. I forgot. Oh, gosh, how dare I? I'm so sorry, Europe. I'm so sorry. I, I was actually speaking to you there for a sec. I, I, I retract my statement. I'm not talking to you. Uh, I'm not talking to anybody in Europe right now because you folks have no time for these letters, right? Except for those few people who listen to this podcast. Again, thank you. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. I do appreciate the five people in Europe who do listen to this podcast. But for the other, you know, 400 million or so, uh, I'm not talking to you because you've got no time. I mean, well, you're 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 busy down at the uh, the coffee shop getting uh, some cafe lattes. Is it uh, what is it you folks in Europe do uh, when you're wasting time instead of studying these letters? Is it uh, cafe lattes or is it uh, some French baguettes down at the the market? I mean, what is it anyway? So for you folks in the United States and the five people in Europe who listen to this podcast, the restraining acts, the government is attacking the economy. Let me ask you all a question. Again, you five people in Europe who are listening to me, and the folks in the United States. Does any of this sound familiar? I'm just asking a question. I, a, a government attacking the economy. Any of this sound familiar? I, I mean, I'm not talking about anything specific. Somebody out there is going to be like, Whoa, Roman, what are you talking about? Something specific? No, no, I'm not. No. Specific? What? What's specific? What are you talking about? Specific? No. Not me. Not not Roman. Not your not your friendly host of the uh, the podcast. No, I wouldn't be talking about anything specific. I'm just asking a question. Does any of that, any of that sound familiar? Anybody see anything like that recently at all? No, I'm just asking. Anyway, never mind. I'm sure I'm sure it's nothing. But that's what the Restraining Act is. They're they're basically attacking the economy of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and they wanted to attack New York, but they rushed it through trying to avoid that. Apparently, there's this 
These people, the, the tyranny knows no limits, ladies and gentlemen. These people even had to even had to control themselves. They wanted to stretch the tyranny so far. There were people in, in the parliament that even balked, like, oh my gosh, don't attack New York. But we've got generals, Burgoyne, Howe, and Clinton. By the way, General Clinton, uh, you know, fast forward a, a few years, uh, General Clinton is going to get embarrassed, severely embarrassed in his, uh, his work in the colonies. Just FYI. And rightfully so. He was a real... Um, pile of excrement of a human being. I mean, you know, there there were not enough firing squads in the world in the 1780s to kill that man enough times to make me happy. Did I say that? Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you, how dare you say that? You know, it's just one of those things. Because he committed treason against his own people, that is to say the colonists, when he followed an illegal order by the parliament and the king to attack his own people there in the colonies. You know, and I was actually reading a website not long ago. If you, if you do internet searches on certain things, you, you'll come across random websites that talk about the Revolutionary War. And there was one in particular that I read that actually said that, you know, on the way to the colonies... That, um, I forget exactly how it was worded, but when General Burgoyne and Howe and Clinton were on the way to the colonies, they had found out that, um, the colonists had declared war on Great Britain. And I'm thinking to myself, what? The colonists had declared war on Great Britain? The colonists had declared war on Great Britain. Are you kidding me? This is the kind of cherry picking that I'm talking about here. Okay, the colon. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in perspective for all you uh, mental, mentally incompetent individuals who write this stuff. And this goes for you folks in the history department to the extent you actually believe this stuff. In my humble opinion, based upon everything that we have read from Dr. Franklin, John Adams, William Tudor, Mr. Cooper, and a litany of others, the colonists would have been well within their rights to march into Boston and kill every single soldier, including General Gage, drag him out of his headquarters by his toes, beat him to death in the street for treason, throw all the bodies onto a ship and sail it for London and send them back. In my humble opinion, they would have been well within their rights to do it because their government had been overthrown, a military dictatorship installed, a Boston turned into a garrison city under military occupation, their commerce had been disrupted, Illegally, amongst other things. So who declared war upon whom? And who was it who—by the way, the colonists didn't do that. They just kind of were minding their own business one morning, and a British column marched out of Boston to illegally seize property, illegally arrest people, and probably kill some folks at the same time. Which, of course, they ended up doing. Well, that was because the colonists shot at him. Oh, shut up. The colonists were defending themselves. They were minding their own business out on their farms. Next thing you know, there's a British column coming at them. But this outrageous crap about how the colonists declared war on Great Britain. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, you must be counting on the fact that everybody who reads this history crap that you write, this false history narrative the fake history that you write, you must be counting on the fact that everybody who reads it doesn't have two brain cells to rub together and spends most of their time sniffing glue and rubbing rocks on their head because those are the only morons that would believe a single freaking word that you say. And you wonder why I do this podcast. Gee, I wonder. Somebody's got to set the record straight. And why I'm so angry at people who cruise into this podcast and then cruise right back out again, for whatever reason. These are the people who probably believe that crap. The people who are sniffing glue and rubbing rocks on their head. So if you if you cruise into this podcast, let me. This is a message for all you folks because somebody's going to download this episode. And it's going to be the first episode they download, and maybe they'll get this far into it or not. I don't know. But this is my message to all you people who cruise in and out of this podcast. If you want to sniff glue and rub rocks on your head, I suppose that's your choice. I can't get in the way of that. I can't stop you from doing it. But just a, a nickel's worth of free advice. 
for your benefit and the benefit of your... God forbid if you have children. Uh, I weep for the future if you have children. People like you should not be having children. But if you do, for, for the sake of you and your children, I strongly suggest you stop doing that. Stop sniffing glue, stop rubbing rocks on your head, and actually study these letters. Now, if you want to cruise out of this podcast and spend the next 10 years of your life digging up these letters and reading them yourself, I suppose you can. I just don't know why you would do it. And I know none of you are. None of you people who cruise out of this podcast are going to ever de- ever read any, any a single one of these letters. You're not going to do it. Instead, you're going to keep sniffing glue, rubbing rocks on your head, and walking this country down the road of Russia. Because apparently you want this country to turn into Russia. Because that's, that's where we're going. But no, the, the colonies did not declare war on Great Britain. On April 17th of 1775, the Parliament and the King had three generals with regiments, ladies and gentlemen, regiments, waiting to deploy to, to, to the colonies. They were just waiting for a favorable wind, ready to go. Some, the military occupation was going to expand, and the war hadn't even started yet. Do you know why? Because the king knew the war was coming. The orders had already been issued. He knew he was going to fight, because he was going to keep poking and prodding the people of the colonies until, until they had to fight, until they had no choice. Because Mr. Cooper was right. Dr. Franklin was right. William Tudor was right. John Adams was right. They were being provoked into a conflict, ladies and gentlemen. They were being lured. The colonists were being lured, baited into a trap so that the king would be able to murder them, so that the parliament would have all the reason in the world to kill them, as many of them as they wanted to, until they got total submission in the colonies. They were going to kill as many men, women, and children as they had to kill to get what they want. The evidence is all here. The reports from Dr. Franklin. See, these people who say that the colonists declared war on Great Britain and these history professors, the pe- or the people who write books and say that they are confused as to why Captain Parker would stand in front of that British column, or they're confused as to why the colonists would react the way that they did on April 19th of 1775. They don't want to read these reports. This is eyewitness testimony from the people who were there. Now, either these people were just a roving pack of liars... And they were lying to each other because they had no they had no reason to believe that half of these letters would ever see the light of day. A lot of this stuff was personal correspondence. So they're just writing letters to each other, lying to each other over and over again, apparently, according to these history professors. Not all of them, but the ones who believe that the, uh, the colonists declared war on Great Britain. Or they're confused again as to why the colonists reacted the way that they did. Frankly speaking, it is an exercise in extreme restraint and discipline. That again, the colonists did not charge into Boston, kill every soldier, drag General Gage out of his headquarters, and beat him to death with a club. Because in my personal opinion, they would have been justified in doing so. And even then, I wouldn't have said that they declared war on Great Britain. The war had already started, ladies and gentlemen. It had started long before April 19th of 1775. John Adams even said so. So either John Adams is the biggest mental incompetent of all time, or maybe he was on to something. A man who was actually there, an eyewitness, who saw it, and not only that, former president of these United States. Second only to General Washington. Vice president under General Washington. President of the Senate under General Washington. These people would have you believe, these professors, these people who write this crap history, the false history, the fake history, they would have you believe that John Adams was just a frickin' idiot. Dr. Franklin was a frickin' moron. Now, they're never gonna say it in that many words, but when they say stupid crap like, The colonists declared war on Great Britain, and I am confused as to why the colonists reacted the way that they did. 
So no wonder nobody takes the history department seriously. I know, I know not all the history professors are like that. I know that for a fact, because I was there. Not in the history department, but I was on the receiving end of the history department. In college, at the university. I know they're not all like that. But how this country, how the university system in this country produces so many morons is a mystery. It should be looked into. Somebody could probably do a research paper on just that. How is it possible that universities in this country produce so many stupid people? How is that even possible? And you parents out there, remember that next time you send your kids to college. They're going to be listening to that crap. Potentially. Not always. Again, they're not all like that. This is why, this is why again, I, I keep this a family-friendly podcast, and I don't drop, you know, F-bombs every five seconds, or make this partisan political, because that, that would not be appropriate for, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest problems with the history department is oftentimes it turns partisan political. Uh, parents don't want their kids to listen to that crap. But the reason, part of the reason why I, I leave this a family-friendly podcast is so that before you do send your children off to college, they can listen to this podcast and get what I would call an inoculation against this kind of stupid. Because they're going to run into this stuff. They're going to read, they're going to, they're going to be, somebody's, some history professor is going to tell them to write a research paper on the American Revolution. They're going to go online and they're going to read some articles and one of them is going to say that the colonists declared war on Great Britain. Is that what you want your children to believe? Do you want your children to forever be stuck on stupid? Like those people over there in Europe who don't listen to this podcast? <laughs> I keep, I keep saying that because I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the people of Europe these days. I really am not. Because I've just seen them do the same stupid crap for like a couple hundred years. And at some point, I just, I just, I just shake my head and go, what the crap? You have, you have all of the information that you need to do it right and to do it different. And you just can't bring yourselves to do it. Because reading books is just too hard for the Europeans. The right books, anyway. I mean, that's, that's the biggest problem is actually finding the right books and reading them. But anyway... Before we uh, end this podcast episode, I am going to, we're going to give Dr. Franklin a send-off here, because I believe this is the last episode we're going to do on Dr. Franklin, or, or may, maybe I'll do a little bit more on the next, I don't know, but I think this is probably going to be the last one, and I don't want to forget to do this. Now, don't worry, he'll be back. Um, this is not the last we're going to hear from Dr. Franklin, but for, for a time, this is the last we're going to hear from him. So I'm going to read you a letter from Joseph Warren, written to Benjamin Franklin on April the 3rd of 1775. This is written from Boston, and I quote, Although I have not the pleasure either of a personal or epistolary acquaintance with you, I have taken the liberty of sending you, by Mr. Dana, a pamphlet, which I wish was more deserving of your notice. The ability and firmness with which you have defended the rights of mankind and the liberties of this country in particular have rendered you dear to all America. May you soon see your enemies deprived of their power of injuring you and your friends in a situation to discover the grateful sense they have of your exertions in the cause of freedom. I am, sir, with the greatest esteem and respect, your most obedient, humble servant, Joseph Warren, end quote. Defending the rights of mankind rendered Dr. Franklin dear to all America. I, I don't think anybody could have said it better. This country will forever and for always, if this country lasts for a thousand years, this country will forever owe a great debt to Dr. Franklin. He gave up so much of his time and energy, even in his last days, to serve this country. I really don't know how we're all sitting here reading, reading any of these letters without Dr. Franklin having done what he did. That is, that is a man who was truly our countryman. Now let me read one more. We've read this one before. I brought this one back, but I wanted to read this again. Uh, this was a number of episodes ago. Uh, this is a letter written to uh, Dr. Franklin from uh, Jonathan Shipley on January the 12th of 1775, and I quote, Dear Sir, 
I think, as you do, that the highest pitch of human honor is the approbation of a free and virtuous people. I have had much more of it than falls to my share, but that pleasure is tempered as it ought to be with a proper sense of my own unworthiness. But I can only be considered by them as a distant, unconnected well-wisher. Your name will justly be revered by them as their first patriot, whose abilities have served and defended their country, and as their first philosopher, who has taught and enlightened America, end quote. Which is a heck of a lot more than I can say from the, uh, the fake history reporters who write this uh, stupid crap that we listen to today. Dr. Franklin was a, a first-class American as far as his, the service that he gave to this country. And, you know, Dr. Franklin will, will be remembered probably forever, and rightfully so. He deserves that honor. And he deserves all of the, the respect and admiration that we can give him, again, as far as the service that he gave to this country that we live in today. You know, and the, anybody who anybody who looks at a $100 bill sees Dr. Franklin. Some people might wonder, you know, why in the world did he make his way onto America's currency? He's not a, he's not a pre, he was never a president of the United States, usually a reserve for presidents, right? I mean, we have Washington, Lincoln, Hamilton, Jackson, Grant, and then we have Franklin. It's kind of odd, but it's not. Uh, Dr. Franklin, you know, deserves a high honor. I, I don't know that putting him on currency is exactly that, but at least Americans are reminded of him. Of course, in a cashless society like we live in today, it's less and less a thing, but people still people still recognize that. And hopefully nobody ever forgets the name Benjamin Franklin. I know that I, I never will. You know, people who give that kind of service to this country are, are a rare breed of cat, unfortunately. And, you know, those 535 degenerate lunatics in Washington, D.C. could only dream of being the quality of a public servant as Dr. Franklin was. And again, not all 535 of them are that bad. You know, there's, 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 there's like two or three good ones. I mean, out of five. So it's like 531, 532, you know, degenerate lunatics. I'm being, I'm being somewhat sarcastic there. There, there are a few good ones. I, I, I routinely forget to say that, but there are a few good ones. But they, they are literally, you can practically count on one or two hands the number of good ones up there. There, there's, there are not many. If you think that, well, you know, there's about a hundred of them that are really, no, don't, don't even try. I've been around too long. You'll never, you'll never be able to pull the wool over my eyes. But a uh, big thanks to Dr. Franklin. That quality of service, you know, we don't see it very often. Oftentimes we see a lot of corruption, we see a lot of things, but Dr. Franklin was a true American. He was a, he was a philosopher, and he was a patriot. Great respect for that man, in many ways. Not a perfect man, I got my issues with him, but the service he gave this country, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't argue with it. I can't. Not even, not even close. So I hope you folks found this uh, episode of the podcast enlightening in some particular kind of way. I, I hope you understand my, my rantings and my ravings about, you know, people who have no time for these letters, you know? You remember that song, you know, No Time Left For You, uh, that song? Um, that's the way I feel. That's the way some people are about the, the Founding Fathers. You know, some people are about the Founding Fathers, you know, they, they just got no time for them. Because, you know, this is what ignorant people do. And, you know, for, for 200 years, the people of Europe have just been ignorant, one country after the next, one group of people after the next, refusing to study this and, and understand how these things go wrong, understand how it is that governments get their people killed, how people walk themselves into these situations. They just refuse to acknowledge it. And thus, you know, we have uh, the 200-year history of Europe for the last 200 years. I sincerely wish every American would pay attention to this stuff and listen to this podcast at the very least, if not crack open the books or what, whatever. You know, I, I certainly hope the study group continues to grow. I know that we have gotten some new people on the study group recently. At least I, I suspect that we have. 
And I certainly appreciate that. You know, like I said, the quality of the people that listen to this podcast, it doesn't escape me because, again, of the difficulty listening to this material. It's, this isn't easy. There's a lot more entertainment value stuff out there. You know, you know podcasts you can listen to that are going to make you laugh. Podcasts that you can listen to that are going to they're going to they're going to send that dopamine hit straight to your brain. But instead of instead of dedicating your hour or hour and a half a week to that, and you may be listening to that stuff as well in addition to this and that's fine. I listen to some of that stuff too. No problem with that. But when people abandon this kind of content entirely and just listen to that, that's a problem. But you folks aren't like that. And I greatly appreciate it. The Founding Fathers, you know, if they were alive today, I know that they would appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to their letters, to listen to what they have to say, what they have to tell us, because they suffered greatly. A great many of these people did. They suffered greatly. So thank you to everybody who does take the time to listen to this material and to join us on the study group. And as I said at the beginning of this episode, I'm looking for requests for what we can talk about on the 100th episode. It's not too far away now. It's a few weeks down the line. And I open it up to just whatever. Whatever you want me to talk about, you know, something different than what than the Founding Fathers' letters, obviously. We, we'll get right back into that on episode number 101. Uh, so if anybody wants to, anybody has a suggestion of what we can talk about on episode number 100, I am open to suggestions. Something a little bit more lighthearted, perhaps. Something not so serious, so that we can take a little bit of break from the seriousness of this material. I am perfectly happy and perfectly fine with that. So I look forward to that. I look forward to episode 100 with you folks. I would rather, I, would, I wouldn't spend episode 100 with any other group of folks other than yourselves. Uh, if, I had to, if I had to march into Hades with any particular group of podcast listeners, it would be you folks above anybody else. Because you, uh, like I said, your quality, your dedication to this material says a lot about you. So I thank you for joining me on this episode. And I sincerely hope to see you on the next episode as we continue marching forward. And with all of that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.